Welcome to Healthy Churches ABNWT, a resource created by and for PAOC Alberta and Northwest Territories pastors and ministry leaders. The focus is on leadership development and congregational health. The goal is to help you reach more people. Visit abnwt.com for more information. Well, thank you for joining us. And this is a special thing here because we don't normally do this and have two episodes, but there's been such good content with Pastor Al talking about healthy leaders that we just wanted to dive right into part two of what it looks like to be a healthy leader. I mean, you mentioned you've you've been burnt out. You had that scenario happen to you. You've experienced. So talk to us um, what pastors need to do when they're when they think they're heading that way. How can they diagnose it? Like, what do they do about it? Help us out here. Okay, I think that, um, first of all, I mentioned before that if others are observing that, uh, you know, you're not just where you should be, uh, it probably take that to heart. And especially coming from those people that, uh, you know, have your best interest at heart. Right. I mean, if it's a criticism from a church member that's trying to prove a point, that's a different thing. Right. But if it's somebody that really cares about you that's saying, hey, you know, I, you're looking weary, you're, you know, just not looking, just the way you're speaking maybe a little bit different than what we're used to here, you know, that type of thing. Early intervention is the key to quick recovery. That's really, really important to understand. Wow. okay. The quicker you get into this and get help, the quicker you'll... Uh, the first thing, as we were talking already, the first thing is to admit that something's going on. Yeah. I'm not doing well. Uh, you know, I, like I said before, I've got this. I, I'm. All I need to do is just work harder or whatever. Um, what would be some early... What would be some signs that okay, you're not um, doing well? Well, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you some of the symptoms that we need to watch for in our lives. Okay. Um, and... Uh, the first, the first thing is this. Um, if you have a period of melancholia, I mean, there's melancholic people, and so, you know, uh, I mean, that's just a personality trait, but I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about a period of melancholia or the loss of the joy de vie, the joy of life, uh, for a, a period of more than 10 days. Um, okay. And it's uncharacteristic for you. Uh, I think that that's, that's an alarming notice that you, you better better pay heed to. Mm. Um, If you have disturbance in sleep patterns, um, particularly if you're you're going to sleep and waking up and your mind's racing, you can't tame it, just thought after thought, and you're dealing with certain, uh, you know, a certain level of insomnia, uh, you're waking up with chronic fatigue, um, you need to pay attention to that. And then there's, there's often just this physical feeling of not well. Um, it's indeterminate, there are multiple symptoms, aches and pains and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you might even go to your doctor and your doctor goes, I can't find anything wrong with you. Well, maybe look beyond that. Okay. Uh, it probably has an emotional link to it. Okay. Um, eating patterns that change, uh, you know, the uh, rapid weight gain, uh, which means you're binge eating. Mm. A lot of people that face emotional stress at, at times of emotional stress in our life, they binge eat. Just eat and eat and eat and eat, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously gain weight as a result of it. Or they don't eat. They lo- lose weight radically. Now, loss of weight obviously needs to be addressed. If you're not intending to lose weight, loss of weight always needs to be addressed as a medical issue because uh, there can be many, many reasons for that. But one reason can be emotional trauma. Huh. Uh, so changes in eating patterns that are that are uh, marked, you, you need to pay attention to that. 
Uh, loss of ability to concentrate. That's a big one. Um, so, you know, you sit down to a task and you just you can't fix your mind on it. You sit down to prepare a message or whatever and your mind is just everywhere. Um, and uh, you find that you just can't concentrate. Or, or uh, you, you, uh, you're going to do something and, and you're sidetracked, you know, five times on the way to do it until you've actually lost, you know, what you're going to be doing in the first place. Those kinds of things. Loss of concentration. Uh, I mean, we all have those days, but I'm talking over a protracted period. Right. You know, uh, and, and, and maybe with increasing frequency. Okay. Um, loss, loss of concentration is always a sign of, of emotional stress not handled well. Then increased irritability, especially with those that are close. I mean, we put on a really good front. You know, when we can for a long time, until we come to the point of absolute dysfunction, we can usually be Mr. Kind around everybody else. But the people that are close to us, right. they are the recipients. You know, I remember sitting down with a pastor a while back uh, that we were working with and uh, said, you know, sitting down with the pastor and his wife and saying he was facing a lot of stress and we'd identified it and uh, his, said to his wife, so how are things at home? He's not very nice to be around right now. Right, yeah, you know? sure. So, so that's, that's a sign. You better yeah. pay attention to that sign. Yeah. Um, routine tasks become uh, mammoth mountains that, uh, that you just uh, can't get over. Um, you know, things that come along in ministry and leadership, issues and problems, there's always complexities. There's always, sure. there's always stuff to deal with. I mean, that's part and parcel of leadership. And by and large, when we're healthy in leadership, we handle it in a routine way. Right. And uh, some of them may be, in a sense, disconcerting and may bother us and that type of thing, but we handle them. And we're able to walk away from them um, and carry on to the next thing. But uh, when we're facing emotional stress and we're at the verge of, of compassion fatigue all the way to depression, um, we're not handling those things well. And very often, as a result, we overreact to them. Right, right. And so, like, I use the illustration of, you know, hitting a fly with a two-by-four. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it always has major repercussions. Right. And it's totally unnecessary. And we wouldn't do that if we were in a place of health. But because we're not, that's how we react. Wow. And so... Uh, then progressively, if this is not treated, if there's no intervention, progressively uh, these smaller issues become greater and we're not able to even perform the smaller ones. Wow. So, uh, and it leads to dysfunction and ultimately we'll be out of ministry for a period of time to recover or maybe for good. Uh, the other thing that, uh, you know, I might say is, is uh, another thing to watch for is impulsivity, taking risks that we wouldn't normally take. Okay. Yeah. Risk-taking um, without thought for consequence. Uh, you know, a very interesting one would be compulsive uh, uh, money spending. Right. I mean, I've had people that are facing uh, all kinds of stress that uh, have never had a problem with this before, but all of a sudden start betting on things, start gambling, you know, taking that kind of risks in their life. Really? Uh, and because there is a bit of a, there is a, bit of a panacea, there is a bit of a, an energizing, I suppose, uh, element to risk taking. Okay. And so, uh, uh, and at that point in our life and in our function, we're actually beginning to work on adrenaline. So anything that pumps adrenaline will keep us going a little bit longer. I, I talk about it as an emotional bank account. We all start out with a really good emotional bank account. Every encounter, every situation, uh, we we take a deficit. Whether the conversation is benign or whether it's uh, stressful 
whether it's an issue or whether it's not, every conversation as a leader takes a little bit of a, dep- uh, a bit from that deposit. And if we're not refueling that in the ways that I talked about and we'll talk about, um, if we're not refueling that, eventually we, we draw from that account until the account is empty. But like a, like a good bank account, we can go to the banker and, and he'll say, well, you've got a good record here, so we'll give you a line of credit. Yeah. The emotional line of credit is, is adrenaline. Oh, wow. Now, you know a line of credit will run out really fast. And when you <laughs> run out a line of credit, you run out, man. Yeah. And There's you nothing gotta, else after that. Yeah. And so it, when we function on adrenaline, eventually that adrenaline, and it doesn't take too long, will run out, and then we crater. Well, that one fascinates me because high-energy leaders, right? Yeah. That would be a hard one to distinguish because they're often taking risks in the car, you know, yeah. moving forward yeah. and... And so, like, how would you well, kind of differentiate between a high-energy, high-powered leader and someone who is in emotional I think, trouble? I think very easily. Uh, they're taking calculated risks. They're okay. taking rational risks. Like, okay. it may be a risk. It may be a faith step, a major faith step. But they've thought it through. And they've got like counsel. The man, like, they've like, got, yeah, and they've got yeah. counsel, and they've listened to others. Okay. And they're, not making, they're not taking the step on their own. And uh, they're not taking it out of desperation. Or whatever, it's calculated. It's like the guy that Jesus talks about that counts the cost of the house before he builds it. Right. I mean, right. it's gonna it's gonna take a risk to build a house. Right. But but you do have your ducks in a row to some degree. You're not just jumping off into limbo. So if you're a board member and you're working with a pastor who will not take those calculated risks and who's just telling you, "Oh, we're gonna do this. Let's go do this." Watch and it. You're, yeah. You're saying, hey, yeah. maybe you yeah. should be asking some deeper questions. Yeah, here maybe you should be listening to your counsel. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So the other thing, of course, and, and this goes to, you know, I mean, you know, at the, at the, uh, the increased uh, level of, of stress disorder is, of course, suicidal thoughts. And anytime right. there's any kind of suicidal thoughts, I mean, that's major, major sign for uh, intervention. So those things are things that you'd need to watch for Jeremiah. Yeah. And if you don't, you're fooling yourself. And yet... I just want to go back to the yeah. suicidal thoughts yeah. because, of course, 2019, we've heard some of the stories we're hearing now around the church world is of pastors who've committed suicide. Yeah. And you're saying the moment the moment you have a negative thought or a suicidal thought, you need to seek help. Like, Absolutely. And it's interesting how pastors, they don't, they don't seek help right away. So suicidal thoughts do not necessarily imply imminent you know, self-destruction. Right, but they are they are a sign and and they are a trigger um, that that something is is not right here that something is terribly out of balance in my life. Mm. Um, so these interestingly these guys I've I've looked at these cases that we've we've seen recently. Yeah, um, and uh, they are typical. They are stereotypical. Really, um, absolutely. There's first of all a denial. Then, then there's some of these people who were receiving help, but not the level of help they required. And they were attempting, while they were receiving help, attempting to carry on in roles that uh, were far too great for them to, to uh, handle. They should have been taken completely out of the picture uh, for a time of, of chronic uh, you know, care and health and uh, to the point of recovery. Because there is a point in this whole stress overload disorder, burnout, depression kind of cycle where you got to get away from ministry for a while. My doctor said to me, said it this way, he said, Al, get out of ministry for a while or you'll be out for good. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, fortunately, you know, with my wife's persuasion and so forth, I listened to his counsel. 
And uh, the only reason that I'm in ministry today is because I listened to his counsel. Otherwise, I would have been a statistic, perhaps a dead statistic. Wow. Yeah. But talk to us again about you're heading for burnout. You've, got, you know, you've talked about the early warning signs. You've talked about paying attention. What else do we need to be aware of? What else do we need to do if we're heading for that? Okay. You know, the first, the first thing that I do, I, like, I really encourage everyone to have a trusted medical professional in their life. Uh, I've heard some horror stories, you know, that uh, people have gone to the doctor and have received all kinds of weird and strange counsel, and they don't even really have a good relationship. Or, you know, the macho man that we talked about before who goes, I don't need a doctor. I don't go to the doctor. I've never been to a doctor in my life. Never will. Never will go to a doctor. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's ridiculous on on many fronts. And the first front is you just need a good physical exam every once in a while to, you know, your blood work, yeah. you know, to make sure you don't have too much sugar in your blood or whatever. I mean, there's, there's nothing, nothing uh, noble about not going to physician. So the first thing is to have a, trist- a trusted physician. And unfortunately, there is a bit of a dearth of, of that kind of medical professional in Alberta right now. Okay. And uh, it, you might have to look for a while to find one. But it's important that you do. That you do, yeah. And then, and then, uh, when any of these signs begin to to show up, uh, the first thing that I do anytime in counseling this kind of a situation is send them to that medical professional. Okay. To have a complete mock up. How am I doing? Like, are there any biochemical, any physical things that are happening in my body that would uh, result in this kind of situation? And this goes back to what we started with. You talked about how healthy leaders have a physical aspect of their health. Absolutely, and absolutely. This is that. And and very often, and and I can talk about all kinds of things in that area as well, but very often there is a biochemical right. uh, component to this. And sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes it's caused by something we call SAD, which is seasonal affective disorder, right. which is something that happens. You know, Spurgeon had it, for example. Spurgeon okay. set his holidays to march every year on the French Riviera because he knew he was going to crash. Wow. He didn't know it was called uh, seasonal affective disorder. He just knew he was going to be depressed, and he needed to get away from ministry for that period wow, of time okay. to recover. And so th- that's temporary. Yeah. But there is also biochemical situations that are chronic, which I myself suffer from. Right. So I need to have medication. Yeah, and you learn uh, to live with it. And I've you learned learn to live with it. I mean, like, I, I've, like, uh, I, would, I would not want to live without it. Because it it is what it is what it's like insulin to the pancreas. Yeah, yeah. It's like digitalis or whatever to the heart. Yeah, it's it's just what I need, and and yeah. it's 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 small price to pay to have my chemical biochemical balance in my life. Wow. So there's that, and and then of course uh, one of the things that uh, you need to understand, uh, and it it does tie into this, is that. There is, there can be a pre, uh, there can be a genetic predisposition to these whole areas of uh, disposition. If there's, if there's people in your family, uh, particularly parental, you know, people in your family or siblings in your family that suffer from depression, you may well be more prone to it yourself, and and so that's something to remember. That's good. Something to remember, and. Um, um, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with with uh, medical per se, but. There's also environmental factors, so upbringing, self-concept. Mm. Uh, you know, they say that our our, our personality is essentially uh, evolved within the first four years of our life. Right. So those people that are putting the imprint on us, what perspective are they coming from, and and what kind of a self-concept have we developed from that? 
and and that is more uh, down the trail a little bit when you've when you've done the medical intervention and you've determined whether there or not there is a you know a medical predisposition that needs to be treated in some way or another. Um, when these signs emerge in your life, yeah. uh, down the trail, you probably and and I think this is absolutely imperative for all of us as leaders. You should have a medical profession that deals with uh, behavioral issues, and uh, so a good psychologist, someone who understands this, someone who can help you work through some of these environmental things. Uh, I needed that, you see, because so much of what I was facing had to do with wrong perception. Yeah, wrong exactly. perception. And and I could not correct those perceptions on my own. So I needed to walk alongside a professional, a trained professional, yeah. a psychologist, that actually could help me identify those things yeah. and then help me uh, change those perceptions and conceptions in my own life so that I could move towards wow. health. Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Uh, you may suspect, but and you may even be able to identify them. But you don't always necessarily have have the pathway to health, and right. you need to have somebody. So, so medical help, psychological help. To me, psychological help. You see, there's a stigma there as well because yeah. we've also said that we always said that if you if you have a psychological problem and you need to go to a psychologist, that somehow is is admitting a deficiency in your own life, and I don't want to do the mental deficiency in my own life. To me, the benefit of of um, Psychological help is is more a preventative factor than it is remedial. Right. And the unfortunate part is, many of the times, by the time I get to refer somebody to uh, psychological help, we're all already in a remedial mode. Wow. And I think if I could have intervened in this situation a year ago, yeah, yeah, and yeah. got this person to a psychologist to provide preventative health, we could have actually avoided some of these pitfalls. So uh, get yourself a counselor. Very good. Uh, get yourself a, a medical doctor. Uh, go through that. Uh, if, you, if you're seeing the signs, uh, then post that. Get some psychological help with a trusted counselor. Talk to your confidant. Uh, then um, part of this prescription is this whole area of balance. The ministry provides all kinds of opportunity for emotional dysfunction because uh, it's like the cowboy's work is never done, you know? Well, the pastor's work is, the minister's work is never Never done. done. It's never done. And so, like I said before, um, it's not an expectation of your congregation. It's an expectation you put upon yourself. But the fact of the matter is that there's a whole lot of people trying to put 30 hours into a 24-hour day. And eventually something gives. Something has to give. Uh, I wish I had time to explain to you, and maybe another time, uh, what I call the balance wheel, where we actually take our life. Uh, and, and um, you know, we don't work 24 hours. And so Sometimes when we're younger, I mean, we can get away with working a 50 or, or having a 15-hour waking period where right. we work. For me, at this stage in my life, and uh, I, I work, you know, I, I work on a 12-hour waking time. And I okay. mean, that's not us. That's not a you know, an absolute prescription, but an yeah. overall general 12, because I need more rest than I did when I was younger. Yeah. I just do. So I have 12 hours. I can't put 15 hours into that 12 hours. Yeah, and so I have to, and every year I develop, redevelop what I call a balance wheel. So I determine first of all a hundred percent of that twelve hours. What's going to be in that? That's twelve waking hours. So I need, for me, priorities are things like uh, uh, family time. Okay, 
How much family time am I going to need? How, how much personal time do I need to rejuvenate? Devotional time, that type of thing. Uh, how, how much uh, educational time do I have? Well, how much, I, I want to be a lifelong learner, so I want to be on the cusp. But how much time am I going to allot to that? How much time am I going to allot to actually work-related time where I'm actually pouring into the job that I have as a pastoral care coordinator? Right. Part of that, of course, when I determine that time, which is at this point about 40 or 45% of that particular waking time. Right. And in, if I'm going to allot that period of time to my work, I have to develop this. I have to develop this, this, uh, this perspective to, to my work. When I'm dealing with someone in the context of my work, I want to be 100% present in that environment, in that right. situation. Yeah. But when I walk away from that, and this is a skill that you really have to learn if you want to keep this balance wheel, I have to be able to say, Lord Jesus, I have done my best. I leave it with you. I leave it at the cross. I cannot take it home with me. And that's one of the things that pastors fail in, particularly when they're headed towards stress burnout. They're yeah. taking stuff home with them. And what happens is you have an accumulative effect that really uh, eventually uh, snows you under. Yeah. And so that 45%, part of that practice, that 45% has to be going, I'm present in the moment. I've done my best, Jesus. You know I walk away from it. I face the next encounter. And uh, it's not easy to do because we deal with huge crises. We deal with the brokenness of people. Right. We're, we're, we're passionate people. We're em empathic people. Yeah. That's the nature of who we are as leaders. But it's a discipline, Jeremiah, we must learn if we're going to maintain health. It's like what you said about you got, you got to put the mask on yourself before you Precisely. put the mask, otherwise you'll be, you'll be no yeah. use to everyone. And we got pastors running all around 11 o'clock at night. You call them up. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah. come over. And it's like... And, and we wear that in a sense as a badge sometimes. Yeah. You know, we used to... It was not so much anymore. We used to have these pastors that used to brag about the fact they hadn't taken a holiday for, you know, 15 years. There's yeah. nothing to brag about. That That's that's stupidity. <laughs> that's not that's not boasting rights. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so uh, this balance wheel. So... So basically, whatever fits in that balance wheel, whatever is a priority in your life as a leader, you put into the balance wheel. And then you do periodic inventory of how you're doing in every one of those areas. Yeah. If, you've, if you've donated or you've, you've designated 45% of your time towards uh, your, your uh, ministry involvement and you find yourself spending 80% of your time, something is going to give. What's going to give? Probably your health. Maybe your family time. Maybe you're losing your family in the process. Maybe your relationship with your spouse is deteriorating, which adds stress to sure. your life yeah. and marriage you know, yeah. and, 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 and ministry and everything else. So balance wheel. That's uh, fantastic. Would, yeah. you, would you recommend that, you know, that be something that pastors do with their spouse and even maybe make that available to their accountability partner as a point of conversation, Absolutely. maybe even Absolutely. to their boards, do you Absolutely. think? Yeah. yeah, particularly your spouse. I think when you're when you're fashioning that balance wheel in your life, I think it'd be a good thing to do it together. Okay, at least have your spouse put some input. I think you really. So, for example, things change. When I was a younger pastor in ministry, I needed more family time because my kids were young and impressionable, and I needed to pour into their lives. and And the fact is, if I forfeit my ministry in my home. I really forfeit my ministry in my in 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 the congregation. Right. Um, I mean, I've given it up, and so I needed, you know, 
25% of my time at that time to be, well, well now my kids, you know, need me to fix the car and, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's changed, you know? yeah. It's changed entirely. And we have a wonderful relationship, thank God. But the time consumption is a little bit different. Yeah, and so you've uh, got to revisit this you revisit every, it. what, quarter? I, revis- I revisit it every year. At okay. the beginning of every year, it's part of my first week of January. Oh, wow. I revisit my, time, my balance wheel. That's so but then amazing. I revisit it periodically through the year, and and the reason I visit it periodically through the year is to say, how am I doing? Am I actually maintaining this, or am I falling outside of the parameters? And if I am, uh, where do I have to make the course correction? So there's some of the things that I need to prioritize. I need to prioritize prioritize rest, and uh, these are the things that we let go first of all. I need to prioritize diet, as I said before. Yeah. Uh, I need to prioritize family time. Recreation, believe it or not. You know, I remember uh, talking to the guy who said, uh, you know, I was feeling really guilty because I wanted to go home and watch a movie. And uh, I said to the Lord, would it be okay if I went home and watched a movie? And the Lord said to me, why don't we go home and watch it together? Yeah. You know? It's okay. (laughs) It's fine, you know? He's with you in your living room as well he's as in your, your office. Exactly. <laughs> he's, with you, he's with you in your living room as much as he's with you when you're dealing with somebody's crises. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's really good. And then I think that as, you know, learning to uh, work from the perspective of abiding in God's presence as, to perfor- as, as opposed to performing tasks. Just this, this presence of God in your life. This little book by years ago, you know, this uh, guy called Brother Lawrence wrote yeah. this little book called Practicing the Presence of God. Uh, yeah. it, it's a must for every leader. And I don't know that we'll ever reach that optimum that Brother Lawrence reached, you know. But it's this understanding that God's with me all the time and I abide in him and, and there's rest in him and, and there's relaxation and refreshment in him. And, and, and if I'm losing that, Somehow I'm losing the whole uh, perspective on ministry. So I, I think those are some of the things. I talk to your confidant uh, regularly. And, and again, as we said before, give that person permission to ask the hard questions. Uh, those are some of the things I think that can safeguard us. Um, some of the advice that I would give to uh, those people that are uh, going into ministry, into leadership. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Al, for joining us. And thank you for being a part of this podcast today. Please share this with your team and anyone else in pastoral ministry who you think might find this helpful. Remember, we're here to serve. You don't have to walk alone. The ABNWT tribe is strong and focused on reaching the 4.1 million souls in our region. So until next time.